Hi, this is Nick Brown with Rage Like Becco. Welcome to the April Atoms. Lots of good stuff to discuss this month, Rachel. How did you find this issue? I loved it. But um, before we start discussing the papers, Nick, uh, I wondered whether we might just start with um, your acknowledgement in this month's Athens that women's literacy and well-being are part of the good things in life for the women themselves and also for their children and families. So it's a good thing for girls to go to school and sometimes the obvious needs stating again and again and again. And then to, to, to illustrate this, uh, I went to the theatre a few, few days ago to see Kate Moss uh, with an E at the end. In her programme, Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, How Women Also Built the World. Uh, and I was delighted to learn that the world's first known author is widely considered to be an Hedjuana. And she was a woman who lived in the 23rd century BCE in ancient Mesopotamia. Now, Nick, where are we in terms of maternal literacy around the world? Well, that's a good question. And I'd like to say that we've made 23 or 25 centuries of, or however many centuries it is, of progress since then. But I I think that would be hard to, um, it would be a hard statement to justify. It's... The Millennium Development Era certainly saw some um, some encouraging signs, but um, as has been highlighted by um, uh, issues in several countries, which are very widely known, um, it hasn't been all straightforward progress. And I can't help but feel that we should be further along the road than we've actually managed to get, essentially. And we're studying marginal gains, of course, which are very important and many marginal gains combined will also lead to improvement. So let's just say it again. Uh, this is not just important, but as I've, I've thought for many years, um, it's the single most important intervention, social intervention, health intervention, um, that there is. It's as simple as that to me. So educating girls and women is a good thing. All this said... Um, let's not detract from the work that's presented in this month's edition of ADC. As you said, there was a, a wealth of excellent studies, and we will be discussing four of them here. And, and this time round, I think mental health takes central stage. The first paper is by Zahra Hudboy at the Aga Khan University, Karachi, Pakistan, and her co-workers. And it's titled Neurodevelopmental Assessment of Small for Gestational Age Children in a Community-Based Cohort from Pakistan. The authors studied a cohort of young children between two and four years old in the context of neurodevelopment and small for gestational age as the exposure. The children were recruited uh, in a community-based setting in Karachi, Pakistan. Methodologically, I like the way they they approach this. The common starting place was a common exposure. In other words, some sort of uh, intrauterine compromise. The outcome measures was a well-established, validated tool, the Malawi Development Assessment Tool. Um, that's uh, appropriate in that setting um, and, and, in fact, explicitly designed for use in low-middle-income countries. And neurodevelopmental delays a common issue in in, in LMICs, and most evidence to date has come from high-income countries. As I think we mentioned before, with the change in angle from um, pure survival, which 
typified the Millennium Development Goal era to um, doing uh, achieving your potential in life, which is uh, how the WHO would define health overall. Um, this this um, this is certainly in keeping with the times, and the paper substantiates the need for screening babies born small for gestational age in in LMICs, which then may of course may allow interventions for them to do better at school if identified early and to improve their chances to do well later in life. That leads us very nicely onto the paper by Karen Edmund and uh, colleagues at King's College in London, UK, and colleagues from Cardiff, Wales, and John DeLube in Australia. Uh, the paper's called Effective Early Childhood Development Interventions Delivered by Healthcare Providers to Improve Cognitive Outcomes in Children Between Naught and 36 Months, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. And it's this sort of paper, I think, where meta-analyses come into their own and, and, and these reviews. So it's an, it's an area, like many, where the literature is quite heterogeneous um, and this pulls what's out there together. So in, in, in the paper, um, they were able to, on the basis of their a priori uh, criteria, include 42 randomised trials on early childhood development interventions delivered by providers. And the main outcome measure was cognitive development of 36 months. Another was maternal mental health. If I'm honest, when I see meta-analysis, I'm, I'm, I'm not always necessarily intrigued. Um, this one uh, was slightly different. Let's start with the first thing that, that struck me. I think the, it was the, the focus on the very early intervention, so in the, in the first month of, uh, of life, which was the, uh, was the focus of the, of the researchers. Although we know that healthcare provider uh, administered early childhood development programs may improve uh, individual level motor and cognitive outcomes. What the authors actually set out was to, as I said, looking at the very early intervention, first month of life in both in high, in high income and low and middle income countries. I won't go into what the interventions actually were, but the authors classified them in responsive caregiving, early learning support and motor stimulation. And they were to be delivered by primary health um, care providers, so um, generalist nurses, healthcare visitors, um, midwives, childless nurses, you know, general practitioners, uh, people there on the ground, uh, and they needed to be face-to-face -face in the hospital uh, to start, uh, but they also had to include community-based post-discharge follow-up as well. Now, the good news is that they work which is great because, uh, again, there's an opportunity to identify uh, potentials for, uh, for interventions and better outcomes uh, in children across the globe. And secondly, we shouldn't necessarily bank on these interventions if we're looking to improve maternal mental health. And I think that too is a, is a, is a major conclusion from this, uh, from this paper. And that nicely brings us to the next paper which is uh, by Jasmine Pillai and co-workers at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, Australia. And they present their paper, Parent Reported Factors Associated with the Emergency Department Presentation of Children and Adolescents with Autism Spectrum Disorder and or Intellectual Disability with Behaviours of Concern, a Qualitative Study. Now, that's a very long title, but it um, encompasses a very uh, troublesome part of, uh, I think, our... Um, 
our healthcare system, and, and specifically for families uh, with children who have troubling behaviour. I think it's quite refreshing to see the interest in the environment in health for autistic children. I've, I've seen a, if not a burgeoning literature, certainly an increase in the number of papers addressing this over the last probably two years. I mean, for all of us, it's uh, going to ED is not a particularly pleasant experience. Um, for autistic children, it's often awful, I think. So what 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 they did was a, a very neat, well-conducted, qualitative study using semi-structured interviews. And the authors interviewed 14 parents or carers of children and adolescents with autism who presented to ED for management of behaviour of concern. These were parents essentially at the end of their tether who had run out of... Uh, options most of these were very experienced you know they weren't they they had tried the usual tactics which had worked in the past but had run out of um uh ways of managing their own children so paraphrasing and interpreting the emerging themes in terms of headlines i suppose the fact that parents and carers have difficulty navigating the healthcare system irrespective of their experience um and the ed would not normally be their first port of call as for us all i guess but accessing appropriate community support um, had proved very challenging for them. Ultimately, they do out of safety concerns, but then their needs aren't quite met um, when they get to ED. Something in the whole setup, in the whole system, uh, seems to be missing. There's a, a loose end or several loose ends that haven't quite been connected yet. So, from very tired parents, as you just described, we go to tiredness in children and young people. Um, and so briefly, the last paper that we'll discuss is uh, by Professor Stevenson's group at UCL Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health in London, UK. And they, they published post-COVID-19 condition at six months and COVID-19 vaccination in hospitalised children and young people. Now, the bad news is that we've got a subset of tired children and young people. But the good news is that exposure to COVID-19 does not seem to have differentially impacted on their mental health. That, as far as I know, is the best cohort evidence that, uh, that we have to date of um, how things transpire longitudinally after, after infection. Um, I think it's quite likely that that study won't ever be replicated because since that era the environment has changed in terms of vaccination and herd immunity so but that certainly to my knowledge reflects that particular group of uh, children um, better than any. That was a great discussion we could of course carry on um, and look at all papers which would be uh, great fun but um, I think it's time to wind up. So that's our review of the our selected topics from the April issue. There are, of course, lots more. And check it all out of the Atoms article and the whole issue at adc.bmj.com. Also subscribe to our podcasts on Apple or Spotify or another preferred platform to get this and the latest from our team. And if you like it, of course, please feel free to give us a review or a share. It helps more people to find us. So it's thanks very much for me. Thank you so much as always, Rachel. Thanks for me. And we'll see you next month. 
Bye for now.